What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to my social life. This is the podcast where you can hear the real stories behind the people on social media. I'm your host, Jacob Kelly. As always, today's podcast is powered by TrueFan. And today is a takeaways episode. And if you're new here, what a takeaways episode is, is where I sit down and I talk to you about the most recent podcast episode of the week. And today, we're discussing my conversation with JT Barnett. Now, if you haven't had a chance to listen to the full podcast yet, no worries. JT is a retired professional hockey player. He spent a few years in the ECHL here in North America, then went over and played in Russia for a little while. And then from Russia, he went to Sweden and then retired after playing a season or two in France. And today, JT is an entrepreneur. He has co-founded Reset, which is a company that throws health and wellness and recovery events. Um, so they threw two prior to the coronavirus, and it is attended by a guest list of influencers. It is an invite-only event with a bunch of brands coming in to pitch the influencers, work with the influencers, showcase their product to influencers with the influencers getting in for free, and kind of their form of payment is promoting this event, and all the brands pay to be there. So that is one of his entrepreneurial endeavors. His second is a hockey media company for the modern age called Triple Deke. They have over 100,000 followers on Instagram, and they're just working on marketing hockey better to Gen Z. We're getting a little bit more in kind of what their their long-term game plan is for Triple Deke here in this podcast, because it was something that I thought was super interesting, kind of the long-term vision of what this media company looks like. And JT is also the co-founder of Honey House, and Honey House is TikTok's adult creator house they have over 1 million followers on tiktok they've done it in seasons so they've done two seasons on tiktok so far uh, with season three coming up slated for them to be in a mansion somewhere in miami so jt's got a lot going on and you know we only had an hour with him on the podcast so it was kind of tough to fit all of it in there because there's just so much cool stuff he's got on the go did my best we kind of jumped around a little bit here or there which i wish i could have timed it better so we had more time to talk about the honey house um but I, I thought it was a fun conversation. JT and I have been actually going back and forth trying to set this up since like late September. So sometimes these podcasts, there's more, there's a lot more behind the scenes than you'd think. You know, it's been months in the making with this podcast. So I was stoked to finally get it done. Um, and one thing actually where I wanted to start on this takeaways episode is I wanted to kind of give a little bit of context into who's JT, who JT's dad is. And we refer, when we, I did ask him about his dad in the podcast in a marketing sense. And for those of you who don't know who Mike Barnett is, I've got his Wikipedia page pulled up here, and I'm going to read you kind of just a quick little couple paragraphs from his Wikipedia page just to give the context of who he is and his significance to hockey marketing. So here's that. Here's the snip or the, the bit from his Wikipedia page. Um, where are we here? He is best known in the world of hockey as a former agent representing sports icon Wayne Gretzky for two decades. He was listed among the 100 most powerful people in sports by the Sporting News on six occasions from 1994 to 2000. During his 12 years as president of International Management Group's hockey division, Barnett represented a who's who of the National Hockey League. Barnett negotiated the playing and marketing contracts for Wayne Gretzky, Brett Hall, Yormir Yager, sorry, Yormir Yager, Sergei Fedorov, Paul Coffey, Joe Thornton, Matt Sundin, Lanny McDonald, Grant Fuhr, uh, both Henrik and Daniel Sedin, and many more. Whatever the form of the contract, Barnett's creativity was legendary. His ingenuity in finding language that challenged the NHL's collective bargaining agreement and finding products and companies for his clients that were groundbreaking in their launches and perpetual attention to the public relations of his clients were all hallmark of his career and athlete representation. I'm going to read you just another jump down here to the section on Wayne Gretzky here. 
In the early 1980s, with Gretzky establishing himself as the NHL's best player and the ultimate spokesperson, Barnett and Gretzky designed a plan that would see the great one enter into exclusive endorsement relationships with only blue chip national and international corporations. There'd be no short-term deals and every relationship would be tied to a third-party charity that would benefit from the efforts of Gretzky and the corporation. Gretzky's brilliance on and off the ice combined with Barnett's vision would would be a marriage that lasted over two decades. Despite playing, despite playing in a relatively small Canadian city of Edmonton, Barnett convinced Cannon in 1983 to create a national billboard campaign that saw Gretzky's Edmonton Oilers image high above Times Square in New York, um, convinced Andy Warhol and Leroy Neiman to release prestigious limited edition works of the hockey legend, uh, complete with an Edmonton Oilers uniform and accessories, sweatsuit, Mattel launched Wayne Gretzky doll, the Wayne Gretzky doll, and this list goes on and on and on. So... Thank you for listening to me just read that for a minute. But so JT's dad had a has really kind of revolutionized hockey marketing. And so it's cool to get the chance to talk to JT with everything he's doing now because his dad revolutionized hockey marketing back in the 80s and 90s. And now fast forward to today, 2021, JT is revolutionizing hockey marketing today. So it's really cool to see that. And that's why if you listen to the full podcast, that's why I asked JT if there was an impact on him growing up with the work his dad was doing. And so that's just a little bit of context on Mike Barnett. And it's just cool to see the parallels between him revolutionizing hockey marketing back then and JT doing similar work today. And so I have a couple of takeaways from my conversation with JT. We'll talk more about hockey, hockey marketing specifically, but where I want to start this, this takeaways episode now with JT is that is don't be afraid to, pursue your passions. At least I think that's what the takeaways. I wrote, don't be explained to pursue your passions. Pretty sure that's supposed to be, don't be afraid to pursue your passions. And when JT was playing junior hockey and professional hockey, social media and growing your brand and getting your face there as an individual was discouraged. You weren't supposed to be posting on social media. You're supposed to be focusing on hockey. You weren't supposed to be making music. You're supposed to be focusing on hockey. You weren't supposed to be taking photos for your, you know what I mean? Just, it was discouraged. And despite that, JT did it anyways. He knew it was something he was passionate about. He even described that hockey felt like his side hustle and his brand and creating content in social media was like his main hustle. Like that is how much he loved social media, creating content, building a community, working on his brand. And he didn't let people discourage him from doing that. He still did it. And I think that a lot of people outside of hockey even and just in general, people are afraid to do that. They're afraid of... They're worried of what their mom's going to think, what their dad's going to think, what their friends from high school are going to think. They're worried about what their followers on Instagram are going to think when they start posting content that's about their interests and their passions. And I just, I'm, I'm imploring, imploring, is that the right use of imploring? But I'm, I'm encouraging you not to let that happen. I know it's an easy, it's something that's easier said than done, of course, but put yourself out there. If that's what you want to do, then do it. You've got a limited amount of time here. So, and I just mean like in life in general, not to post on Instagram, but don't live your life for other people if it's what you want to do if you want to post on social post on social but even beyond social media if you're passionate about whatever do it right like if a lot of people are afraid to pursue their passions because they're worried about what other people think and that kind of ties me brings me to the next point is that you can change your identity (laughs) i just read that out loud i heard myself read that out loud and I hear how that sounds now. Um, what I mean with change your identities, and we actually talked about this a couple of weeks ago with the Zach Kravitz podcast. Um, a lot of people feel like they're tied to an identity of like what people view them as. Like, for example, people probably view me as the podcast guy, right? Because I've been doing this podcast for years now. And it's just my post. I do it every single week. I'm always doing the podcast. I always talk about my podcast. I am the podcast guy. 
But if, if we look at J, in JT's context, JT was the professional hockey player, right? Like that was kind of his identity. And he ended up retiring. We talked briefly about it on the podcast about kind of his lack of identity in that sense because it's it's what he'd known since he was a child to be a hockey player. And while he still is a hockey player, like his life is very much involved with hockey today, he's not a professional. When he retired, he kind of lost a little bit of his identity. And since then though, and it's not easy, like, but since he retired, he's been able to change his identity for lack of better. Like he's been able to add elements to himself. Now he's known as the co-founder of Honey House. He's now, again, still associated with hockey, but now he's more so on the media side as opposed to being a player. And you know what I mean? He's just, he's changed his identity over the last couple of years. And again, it wasn't easy. Like JT Top mentioned in the podcast, it was really hard for him. I believe he mentioned he's going to therapy and things like it wasn't necessarily an easy transition, but it's more than doable. You're able to change your identity back to using myself as the example in this case. So like I said, people know me as the podcast guy, but no one knew me as the podcast guy in March of 2018 before I put my podcast. So my podcast came out in June, 2018, probably weird at the time, right? Like no one knew like no one, like no one ever referred to me as a podcast guy. So I kind of changed my identity in that respect. I don't even know what you would have considered my identity to be before that. I really don't know. I think my identity was wrapped in, up in sports quite a bit. Cause I, again, never at the level JT played, but I played sports growing up and I was just felt like that was kind of who I was supposed, not who I was supposed to be, but who I just thought I was. Um, you know, I ended up working in sports that kind of added to that that identity so no one ever kind of looked at me as the podcast person right but i changed that and again it wasn't the most again i think it's i'm not saying my starting my podcast was challenging in terms of my identity but it can be a difficult thing for you to do and so but you can do it right like i think for me now i'm just kind of slowly exploring like i think i might have mentioned this on a previous takeaways is i'm exploring things like and from a creative sense, when it comes to like film and stuff like script writing and things like that, or even just like not writing novels and creative writing, I'll say, and that's just nowhere near associated with my identity in any way, shape or form right now, but I'm just kind of doing it on the side because it's interesting to me. And so don't be afraid to pursue your passions and don't be afraid to change up your, again, change up your identities. I think is not a great way of saying it, but don't be afraid to do things that you're passionate about that are outside of what people know you for, if that makes sense. Chase your passions regardless of what, again, it comes down to caring about what other people think. At the end of the day, I think you should pursue passions that you're passionate about and do what you want to do, not what you think people think you should do. That makes sense. And honestly, just go for it. (laughs) You know, even if someone tells you you can't, like, I really like the story of Reset with, with JT where they talked to one of their friends in like the event space and they were like, this is, look, this is the event we want to do. We want to do it after. I believe it was just after Coachella, I believe. After Coachella, we want to do this event, which is two and a half months away. She's like, absolutely not. You're going to leave at least six months, more likely 12 months to get this event done. Like, no shot you're doing this. And they left that meeting and they were like, man, we, I think we still, we got to do this. And eventually they just, they went for it. They did it and they pulled it off. And I think, again, my two takeaways from that is one, just go for it. Don't let other people discourage you. Actually, I actually have three takeaways. One, just go for it. Don't let other people discourage you. It's my first takeaway from that. My second takeaway from that is you can accomplish more than you think you can. If it is like your sole focus to get something done, you can do so much in a little amount of time. You know, I always, there's a, a book I read one time and it's a little bit different from this, but it was, what is your, what is your 10 year goal? 
And so you pick whatever your 10 year goal is. And someone goes, what would it look like if you were to try to achieve that in six months? And you're going to work like a bat at hell. You're going to work like crazy because you're trying to do 10 years of progress in six months. But at the end of that six months, even if you aren't 10 years, even if you don't achieve your 10 year goal, you will be so much further ahead in that six month timeline than you are in 10 years, right? Like you'll be so much further ahead than if you just operated like you were trying to achieve your 10 year goal in 10 years versus if you're trying to achieve your 10 year goal in six months, you're going to get there a lot quicker. And so I just, that kind of, that was my other takeaway is if you can focus and just work your ass off on something, you can achieve a lot more in a limited amount of time, a smaller window than you really think you can. And my third takeaway, oh, my third takeaway was being naive can sometimes be a strength, not understanding an industry fully, not having preconceived notions, not having the, what's the word? Not having the built-in doubts. I can't think of the word. There's a specific word I'm looking for. Um, but not having just these like misconceptions or the, had these um, beliefs about the industry predetermined. Having a naivete, I feel weird saying that, but have, being naive about something can be an asset in certain respects. You know, sometimes you just, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what's considered not possible. So you're just going to do it anyways. And I like that. I just like that story of them only having two and a half months to throw this crazy event with i think it was 50 to 100 influencers tons of brands like big event and they pulled it off after being told by someone in the industry that it wasn't possible so i just really liked that story of kind of the beginning the early days of reset another takeaway that i had too with triple d so if you don't listen to the full podcast triple d like i said is jt's media company that he's working on instagram but what he did is he didn't end up actually trying to because the page is over i believe they're like 129 i want to say i'll just pull it up here on instagram maybe 130,000 followers on instagram and jt didn't actually start that from scratch 130k on instagram and so he, they, he didn't start it from scratch what he ended up doing is he was working consulting with different hockey pages on instagram being like oh you could do this you could try this you could do this and eventually what he ended up doing is he ended up partnering with one of these pages he was working with and they kind of, I guess, technically co-founded it to get Triple D together um, or something like that. I, I didn't, JT, we didn't really dive into the full agreement between the, the two, JT and this other guy. Um, but so basically JT came in, rebranded it with Triple D. Um, JT kind of leads from a strategy standpoint, kind of the creative direction. And the other the other partner in Triple D works on the day-to-day management and the posting and all the, the day-to-day stuff. So JT is more of a high level when it comes to Triple D, but he's driving the creative direction of the brand. And I really liked that idea. You know, like sometimes these people have been running accounts for so long, maybe they're looking for a breath of fresh air, maybe they're looking for some help. And I've never once thought of reaching out to someone being like, hey, you want to partner on this page? You know, like I can, and I just, I really liked that idea. And it's something I'd never ever considered before is just, reaching out to someone and working with them on a pre-existing page. Um, but I think that's a huge, that's a huge strategy. And I think if you want experience in social, find a page like that. It doesn't have to be a verified account. It doesn't have to be anything like that. But if there's tons of media pages and like curation pages that I'm sure if you reached out to someone who's running one and you offered, hey, like I like you could look at this from two two respects here. People always ask me, how do I get experience in social if I've never 
gotten experience, if you volunteer to work for a giant page on Instagram or TikTok or whatever, and help that person who's running it with the day-to-day, that's a huge asset. If you want to get into social, you can do that. You're working for free. That's kind of the the asterisk there. You're probably not going to get paid for it. But if you volunteer to work with someone on their page and help them out, you can get tons of great social experience helping run a big page. And if you look at it from J, from like the angle that JT took it as, is you can you can not not get a head start with your business, but you can really I kind of, I guess, head start for lack of a better word, but with Triple Duke, like he wasn't starting from scratch, right? They had a built in like 100,000 follower audience, which is massive. And that really allowed them to kind of get a name for themselves out there because there's just so much social proof with that many followers. And so I just really like that idea of reaching out to someone and kind of working with them on that page. And I think Triple Duke, they're going to, they got a lot of, a lot of cool things on the go. Um, I really, really like their day in the life series where they'll have players from all over North America, even Europe in some cases, I think, um, take over their Instagram. So they'll take it over and they'll just do an Instagram story, take over, hey, here's my day. But what they do in the back end is they save every single story and then they repurpose that into a feed post. And then they repurpose that into content for their TikTok. And you can kind of see the behind the scenes of like high level hockey players, whether it be major junior college. I think they've had some uh, AHL guys, maybe even a an NHL guy or two on there as well. Um, so I really like the content they're putting out, but what the long-term vision for Triple Deke is, is kind of what JT was alluding to is essentially turning it into an agency where pro athletes will come in and help and they'll, re- they'll work with Triple Deke to help them grow their brand. And I just figure, you know what, Triple Deke is establishing themselves as the authority in this space in hockey marketing and hockey personal branding. And I think that's absolutely brilliant what they're what the long-term vision for the page is and the page the company is you know because they're going to establish themselves they're going to have these hundreds of thousands of followers all the players are going to have worked with them and done takeovers for the story and so whenever a player thinks man i really should grow my brand and as the as as the league gets younger as more younger guys make their way into the league who've grown up on youtube who've grown up on instagram who've grown up on social media they're gonna understand the value of having a strong personal brand we're already seeing it to some respects like mitch marner's done not from a social media perspective but mitch marner's in a lot of collaborations and stuff with different companies um a lot of partnerships but we're already starting to see guys like i think with mario ferreira i believe is his name i want to reach out to him and get him on the podcast he played for the san jose sharks he does, he's been doing YouTube content. Connor Carrick launched his podcast. I've actually talked to him a little bit. He might be coming on the podcast at some point as well. Um, but as the league gets younger, more and more guys are going to understand the value of putting out content. And who are they going to think of when they want help doing that? Because you're an athlete. like You're going to need some help for sure because you're a pro athlete. They're going to think of Triple Deke. And Triple Deke, as they go, they're going to make more and more connections as guys. like Every single time a guy does a takeover... For Triple D, that's establishing a connection with that player. When that player makes the league, that means there's going to be a relationship for Triple D in the league, right? So I just think what they're doing right now, they're laying a very solid foundation and they're going to build on that. They're going to build a big building off of that. I think the long-term vision for Triple D is really smart. And I'm really excited to watch JT and the Triple D team kind of navigate that over the next few years and really see what, what Triple D blossoms into. My next takeaway and I was actually on a podcast. I don't know when this podcast, like the pot, this takeaways is going to come out, I believe mid February. I was on a, I recorded a podcast as a guest a few weeks ago, probably by the time this episode comes out and, the, and um, and the guy I'm named Max Spence, Max Spence business podcast is what I was on. He's asking about content houses and could we have a content house here in Ottawa where I'm from? And after talking to JT, I was really thinking about, it, and I kind of referenced this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago 
this was at the time of recording this was like a week or two ago now i guess so it'll be almost a month by the time this comes out but content houses are more practical than you'd think and so i was doing the math i was like man like all these people living in mansions and stuff like this must get really pricey you know they're really nice houses but if you think about it let's say you want to live in a in a and i don't know how i really don't know let's take a google here we'll do a quick google but mansion la rent just hold on bear with me here because i'm going to try and throw some numbers at you mansion in la rent okay los angeles luxury homes for rent let me just take a little look and see how much these cost per month just to give you an example okay a little bit more than i thought um okay but even so let's look at this one an eleven thousand dollar monthly that's not a mansion that is three bedrooms hmm let me see either way you could probably get okay they're a little more expensive than i thought <laughs> um but even so if you roll if you look at it, a honey house this is actually a pretty nice house we'll roll with this one twelve thousand oh so we'll say twelve thousand dollars a month where'd it go i lost it or this one here okay here we go four bedrooms or three bedrooms four bathrooms so even so if you look at the honey house season one we'll say it's six couples living in a house say of six people that's about a thousand just over a thousand bucks a month per person if you look at it like if you look at the cost for i'm way rambling here i'm gonna bring this bring this back to my original point and then content houses are more practical than you think if you can find a place for we'll say even if it's not in la right there's probably cheaper areas you can go in your city right now if you can find a three-bedroom home for six to eight thousand dollars and it's a bunch of couples all moving into the same house you're looking at like so if it's an eight thousand dollar house and you have three couples moving in that's six people you're paying just over a thousand bucks a month i mean that's a little bit pricey depending on what you do and how much you make but if you're like if you live in a bachelor apartment here in this where i live you're looking at in some buildings about twelve thirteen hundred dollars for us for a bachelor apartment so if you move in there with a group of people you can split that five six seven eight ways and pay probably the same amount you'd pay for a bachelor apartment but live in a huge house somewhere and it just made me realize i was really thinking about like wow content houses are really a lot more practical than i thought they were i mean in some cases like one of the houses i looked at which was like legit super fancy man who's like forty thousand dollars a month and so yes that's a little bit more challenging if it's eight people at forty thousand dollars that's 5k a month not ideal for rent um but it's like you can find places that are super practical like just the example i gave here so i live in ottawa canada if you want to get a three bedroom a three bedroom house with two bathrooms and a small but like a backyard basement full kitchen dining room living room and three bedrooms you can get it for like 1800 bucks if you move three people in there that's 600 bucks a person like that is more than doable like it depending on where you live and where you want your content house to be like you can find a decent place in the burbs probably that five of you could split and turn it into a content house like content houses are just so much more practical than i think they are when we think of content houses we think of la and like massive massive mansions and sway and hype house and whatever but you can find decent places and split the cost like in honey house i think it was like eight of them splitting a, a place eight ways like it is far more practical when you think when you really crunch the numbers and then on top of that if you can get a little bit of traction which honey house has a lot of traction and you can and you bring some some sponsors in you can offset the costs right away right like you could probably 
realistically in Honeyhouse's case, they're pro they should, I don't know how much their houses have been costing for rent, but they should most definitely probably be able to cover their entire rent with their sponsorships, right? So then you're essentially doing it for free. So content houses are far more practical than I think you are. I think if you just, you don't have to be as fancy, right? Like people, I mean, the house is cool, but people will follow the content houses because they like the people in the house and the things that are going on and the content you're putting out from that house. So even if you're living in a house in the burbs, it's not a mansion, who cares? People will follow you if they vibe with you and you and the rest of the crew in that house. So content houses are far more practical than I ever gave them credit for. Um, and that was a big takeaway for me on this podcast. I just realized there's like eight of them in their house and if they're all splitting their rent eight ways, like that's not too bad. Um, again, maybe I'm naive. Maybe the, maybe the honey house was a lot more expensive than I thought it would have been. Um, but just, that was just kind of my takeaway when I was looking at you split rent eight ways. Like you can get some pretty good deals doing that. So, um, content houses more practical than you think they are. The thing with the content house though, I will say, and honey house did a good job of this is that you got to have a plan going into it. And like honey house, wasn't just like, Hey, let's find whatever people like they made sure they got the right people. So it was the right vibe. They had a plan for the house. They weren't all just moving in with no plan. Like they had a plan for the content. They had a plan, like a content plan. They did everything just, sorry if that cracked, that was my knuckles. I didn't mean to do that. Um, have a plan going into it. Don't just like I think it's so important and you have to make sure everyone's on the same page. Like if you move six people into the house and three people are like, I didn't really want to create content. I just want to save rent. It's going to create weird vibes in the house when everyone's trying to document the entire time and create and make videos and take photos. Like you're going to make sure you want to make sure it's a, a group of people who all want to be there. So just make sure when you're going into the content house, you've got a plan laid out. The next thing is I, I kind of, it's a kind of a question and is, is all good is all press good press. And I think in the context, so where this is coming from is when Honeyhouse JT made a video, kind of what everyone does in the house, and he didn't necessarily post their full time jobs. Sometimes it's like their side hustle or whatever it was, and then maybe they could like so it's just kind of posting like jobs that might not seem like real jobs, like a meditation coach, which is someone's side hustle, which is an actual thing they do, but it's not their full time job. But so he goes around, he posts all what everyone in the house does, and someone from Barstool shared that video and said this is this is sincerely the worst thing I've ever seen, and they got a lot of hate from that. And a lot of people from Barstool came over and said, we're going to go burn this house down, whatever, whatever. And so you get a lot of hate, and a lot of negative press. But on the back end of that, because of Barstool so big, they got positive traction from it as well. And so I'm, I'm kind of going to leave it with that question. Is all good press good press? And I should have asked JT this on the podcast. You know, I feel like we were just, again, I wish I had more time with the honey house. I paced my, I paced my questions wrong. Um, but I don't know. I think. Um, I think they, I think because of Barstool, they got a lot of good press as well. So is that a positive? I think so. And I think, I think in this context, it is, do I think all press is always good press? I don't, but I think that they weren't doing anything wrong. You know what I mean? Like if you're getting bad press, cause you're doing something weird or messed up or wrong or illegal, that's probably not going to end up being good press in the end. But in the context of honey house, they were just living their lives and Barstool was just kind of trying to make a joke out of it. And so in that case, I think that is good press because even though Barstool is trying to kind of clown on it a little bit, it's still exposing the brand to tons of people and it got them a tons of press in the long run. So I think not all press is good press, but I think in the context of Honey House, Barstool trying to make fun of them actually benefited them in the long run. But yeah, anyway, that's what I thought. Let me know what you think. Is all good press? Good press. Let me know. Send me a message on Instagram. You can find me anywhere on social media, really at, at the Jacob Kelly. Uh, feel free to come and say hello. Thank you so much for listening to this takeaways episode. Whether you listen the entire way through or you only listen to bits and pieces, I really appreciate you taking time to check this out. Uh, I also recently launched a brand new YouTube channel 
actually put out a documentary 90 minutes long about David Dobrik. It's called Tomorrow Night with David Dobrik. And I explore the life, the career of one of the world's top vloggers, 18 million subscribers on YouTube. And he hasn't posted a vlog since April of 2020. So my documentary explores his rise to fame or before his rise to fame, his rise to fame, um, his career, his mainstream crossover, why he stopped posting, his long-term goals. It is in 10 chapters. Gotten some good feedback on it so far. I'll make sure it's linked in the show notes down below. You can also search up David Dobrik documentary, Jacob Kelly. It'll come up. But like I said, Tomorrow Night with David Dobrik is the name of the documentary. There's also a merch store with a bunch of merch based on the documentary. It has nothing to do with me or my face or my likeness. It's all related to the doc. You could wear it without even seeing the doc because I think some of those designs are cool enough. Um... I even had a friend who ordered one, hasn't watched the documentary yet, but he's ordering a sweater. So, you know, some of the designs, it doesn't look like YouTube merch. It's just like cool clothing. So check that out, shop.jacobkelly.ca if you want to check out the merch. But seriously, thank you so much for listening. Also make sure all of JT socials, Triple Deke, Reset, Honey House, JT himself, everything will be linked in the show notes down below so you can find it. Like I said, at the Jacob Kelly on all social medias, links to my documentary is there as well if you want to find it. Uh, but seriously, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, make sure to leave a positive rating and review. The more positive ratings and reviews we get, the more it helps new people find this show and it really helps to grow the community that we're developing here. If you're one of the new people that have recently on the podcast, welcome. I'm very excited that you are here. If you came in through JT or whether you just stumbled on this podcast, super excited that you're here. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Um, I put out brand new interviews every single Monday, 5 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And Thursday at 5 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, I put out an audio exclusive takeaways episode like this where I sit down and break down those recent podcast episode of the week. So if you enjoyed it, thank you so much for checking it out. Make sure you subscribe, leave a positive rating and review. As always, today's podcast is powered by TrueFan. Thank you once again for listening, everybody. We'll talk soon.